Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM Riverside and one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is in from planting his snapdragons. I've been planting snapdragons and moss roses and other things. My wife tells me to plant. You're such a sensitive man. I am. Well, she's, this is her last day ever of teaching, so I, I thought I'd get supportive and go out there and plant plant the gardens. Yeah. Which I would do anyway, but she's got a lot going on. This is the end of 23, 25 years of teaching little minds. Yeah. Yeah. Destroying Noah. Yeah. <laughs> teaching. She's a reading elementary school, reading teacher, interventionist. Yeah. yeah. She's a, she's, she was third generation teacher. My daughter's a teacher. She's fourth generation, obviously. See how it goes from there. Yeah. Oh, as long as she keeps you in the house, we're okay. Well, she's retiring, and I've been retired, so now I'm losing my retirement because she's going to be here during my retirement. Oh, so you know, you can't no yeah. more of that goofing around watching TV all day. And, and, and worse. Yeah, and worse. But anyway, let's talk to our guest. Yeah, Trump yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got we've got someone we've got someone important here. So we've got uh, an author, and um, let's just bring him in. So Matt Scott, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Matt, um, what made you decide that you wanted to write books i mean it started later from i understanding you were in your 40s or something yeah i definitely got a late start on it i um you know the genesis of it really was that i hated reading early on just because they made us read so much crap in uh in high school you know uh, watership down the good earth i just i just couldn't stand it uh so i really didn't get into reading until the da vinci code came out you know the phenomenon that that thing was so I got into it from there, and I was on the elevator at work one day, and I ran into a guy that uh, started talking about Vince Flynn. And I uh, never saw that guy again, so I think that's a, a moment of divine intervention for me. Uh, went out and read all of Vince's books, and he started reading, you know, um, Brad Thor and, and uh, Joel Rosenberg and some other guys. So all this stuff just kind of, you know, started absorbing. Um, and it uh, really started, the writing started for me. It started having some ideas about doing a, a, a kidnapped uh, CIA agent novel set in Iran. And then I met David Baldacci at a book signing in Williamsburg, Virginia. I drove, drove through a snowstorm to see him. And uh, I got up to my turn at the table, 
And I said, I was 39 at the time. I was like, it's 40 too old to write your first book. And I kid you not, this guy stopped mid-signature, looked up at me and said, hell no, the, the industry could use some good young writers. Now, I didn't know if I should be happier that this guy thought that 40 was still young or that this mythic man of the industry was telling me to go forth my, with my destiny. But uh, I took that advice and, and ran with it, and uh, I started outlining as soon as I got home. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll actually call David later and talk to him about yeah. that. <laughs> we should have mentioned him last time he was on. See, yeah. you remember Matt? Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I give, I got to give him some grief. I'm going to see him actually. He's going to be here in Charlotte on uh, on Sunday, so I'm going to try to bring back taking down memory lane when I see him. <laughs> you have to. That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can, you know, uh, get get him. You can sign a book for him. I, I'm actually going to try, but I doubt his people will let me. They'll probably kick me out, but I'm going to try and uh, get, get my time at the table with him nonetheless. No, he's pretty friendly. They're, it's a friendly group. They won't. They won't turn you away. Yeah, no, they were good. They were good last time, and I'm hoping they'll be good this time. But yeah, uh, yeah, right. it's 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 kind of like it's coming it's coming full circle a little bit for me. So, uh, but I, I do. It is important for me to get up there and uh, thank him because I don't think uh, without that push from him, I don't think I would have you know, really propelled myself to do it. Because, you know, self-doubt is a yeah. um, is a really something that plagues us all, right? And, uh, you know, with him being as big a name as he is, is you know, it's kind of like, well, what are you waiting for? Well, i got to ask the question. I know you've been asked it. I saw it actually watched it on your video. I worked for the agency. I was there doing the whole round thing. Why Iran? It is just a country that no one thinks about, unless you want to think about a radical terrorist. That's the picture of people have of Iran. So, but why for you, Iran? Uh, it was actually for that reason. Um, uh, like I said, I was kind of expi- inspired by the Da Vinci Code, the way Dan Brown took the, the Robert Langdon character, you know, uh, on a, took the readers on a tour of Europe, you know, by way of his writing. And Iran has always been interesting to me simply because of, you know, the um, what happened uh, with the revolution and the embassy um, situation there in 79. And I just kind of started thinking that, uh, you know, not a lot of people like myself uh, know what Iran looks like on the inside, you know, how it operates. Everybody knows that uh, there's the, the Islamic extremists that, you know, would, you know, blow us all up if they had the, had the chance. But uh, I also kind of refused to believe that uh, everyone over there was like that. So uh, it took me a, a lot of research to uh, kind of see what goes on there, what are some of the major sites, and I wanted to take people uh, on a tour, at least with book one, uh, you know, uh, inside Iran and uh, let people know, you know, that there's some, there's some good people there too. And um, that, was, that was kind of my goal, and then it just kind of transitioned into, into the other books. And then the third one obviously ended up being about regime change. But short answer is I want to go there. And um, the research was was fun enough that uh, I just decided, you know, what the hell, and uh, go for it. Because the thing about it is, as stringent as Iran is, the Iranian government is, with um, the Internet and Facebook and Twitter, uh, they're actually pretty lenient with regards to uh, Instagram and and YouTube. And I was fortunate enough to have, um, you know, a lot of, you know, everybody's got a dash cam these days. So anything that I really needed to know about, you know, the inside of a palace or anything like that, I, I was able to find by way of YouTube. So it was a big help. Well, that's interesting. But, what I, you know, I want to see what leads you to these kind of ideas and, and what gives you the confidence to, to feel like you can write about them. Is there some sort of thing 
um, or some sort of like what what gives you that confidence? I think the confidence comes from the fact that I was working such a horrible job in in the corporate America and um I when I sit down in front of a keyboard, you know, the only person I'm reporting to is me. I don't have to, you know, check with anybody about ideas or, or anything like that. So it's, you know, the I kind of live and die by my own sword. Um, now I don't have obviously the experience that uh, that Joe has with with the agency, so you know I have to rely on um, my research and some of the, a lot of the nonfiction novels uh, that I read. And but I've always had a I think I've always had a very creative gene inside me. It was always about harnessing it and, you know, turning it into something more tangible than just a, you know, a note in a greeting card or something like that. Uh, so it was, I just kind of accepted the fact that um, I was given a creative gift and it was up to me to, to try and make the best of it. And I put that together with, um, some of the things that I would always wanted to write about, you know, a kidnapped CIA agent, you know, inside Iran, you know, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, the Vince Flynn novels obviously inspired me. So it was, it, it was a challenge to me and it was one that I, I you know, chose to accept within myself. So, uh, that, yeah, that, that's kind of where my confidence comes from and everything else, you know, I it just, I kind of let it fall by the wayside and see, and see what happens. But, I, I just pick up my story and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And I just let it go from there and let the fingers do the talking on the keyboard. Well, there you go. No, but is there is there some sort of a a, a, a meaning or some sort of um, purpose under the underlying, you know, subtext, something that is different that's important to you that you're trying to get across in the story that's just, it's not the entertainment part or the action. It's just something that you want people to to get is there something else well with regards to iran i would say that uh, i i did want to try and convey that um there are good people in iran there and i do think iran uh, regime change will happen eventually in iran i um i think the economic sanctions that we put on on them uh are uh working i think it's a little bit more slowly than I, I think i would personally uh like but i think it's gonna i think it's going to happen and uh, to see the the possibilities of what Iran could really be um, if it was to turn into the type of country like, you know, Jordan or um, to some extent Egypt, I suppose. But um, I think, you know, Iran, when you look at it, uh, even though, you know, the Shah didn't treat his people, you know, fairly, uh, it was better then than it was. It's been under the Ayatollahs and Iran was a, a great place to visit. Um, you know, in the in the fifties and, and things like that. Uh, so it's it is a great country, and I think the the possibilities there are really limitless if we can uh, inspire uh, regime change somehow. Um, with regards to to purpose for me personally, um, you know, I, I I heard a quote one time, and it goes something like this: that was, uh, you know. Uh, hell is to meet the person you could have been at death and realize you're not even the shadow of that person. And heaven is meeting the person you should have been and seeing yourself staring back at you. So it was all about me uh, trying to uh, make the best of, uh, of my opportunity. And if I, if I knew I couldn't fail, what would I do? And I wanted to write. And it was about me trying to get that story, these stories uh, out to people. And I hope that 
whether it be my personal story or the stories that I put on paper, I, I hope that um, people somehow uh, take a liking to them. Well, then how did you approach uh, Iranian Middle Eastern culture in your writing, you know, Iran being a Shia country versus the Sunnis? How, how, how did you feel about writing that in that uh, arena? Culture-wise, culture-wise, it, it was kind. Of, I felt it was. Uh, I had to write very carefully. I think um, I tried not to to write write them in too much of a, a westernized fashion. So I had to balance it between what they are and what I think that they could be. Uh, fortunately, you know, some of the documentaries that I uh, that I saw about the Iranians, uh, the everyday um, Iranian citizens, uh, showed me. You know, opened up a door. To me, to, to show you know what they what they want and what they could be, um, but we can't forget you know, and I, I had to make sure that I didn't forget that uh, you know the Shia culture can be violent and and, and 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 overwhelming, and that reality is there, and it is was important to me to convey you know, whether it was in book one, two, or three uh, to show you know what can happen. Uh, by way of the uh, Revolutionary Guard or, you know, the besiege or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, form of, uh, of government they have over there and how the hammer can really come down on, on anyone. So it's, it, was, it was a balancing act, but uh, my intent was to try and show what it is, what it can be, and what's in between. And, uh, you know, what I saw was that... Uh, there's there's an Iran that exists out there in public, and then there's an Iran that exists uh, behind closed doors. How do you develop your characters in a story like this? Like, where do they come from for you? Daydreaming, honestly. <laughs> what, what did you say if I was busy daydreaming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it all starts with motivation for me. You know, the, the Ben Thrasher character, uh, you know, my, my brother's name was Ben, so that, that kind of came from there, and uh, Thrasher just kind of one of the th- names that just kind of seemed kind of badass, and just kind of kind of came to me, but as far as character development is concerned, uh, that's one of the forms of the process that um, I, I still do freehand on paper, and I have all, all of their motivations um, written out and kind of bubbled out, you know, with you know lines written, um, drawn out, and I try and find a way to, to, you know, make them weave in and out between each other. Um, so because I don't have, you know, Joe's experience in, in the field and in the agency. So for me, strength of character is, you know, uh, paramount because I have to base, you know, the operational sense on what I've read. But the, the character sense, I think, can come from, from within. So I have to make these characters... Uh, a likable, but B have a, a a very unique personality to make sure that the the ones that they're supposed to hate they hate with a vengeance, and the ones that they're supposed to like they love once they come in there and kick it to the kick it to the villains. It's a it's you know it's my own you know spider web uh, so so to speak, but it's all about motivation for me. What are the characters' motivations towards the plot that uh, that I want to put down? Well, there's the question. You, you said you wanted to write a book about a CIA agent being kidnapped in Iran. That's a plot point. So, did you did the characters weave around your plot, and they developed as you developed your plot, or did you have characters and say, "I want I want to make this character more likable. Let me write plot to make that happen in the frame of the book." What's is it plot character character plot how did, how did you think about it 
plot came, plot definitely came, came first. Plot always comes first to me. Uh, because without the plot, you can't, I feel like you can't guide the characters, uh, in the right direction. You can write them, but they have to be going in the direction you want to send the readers. So I always develop the plot first. I say, this is what I'm going to do. And then I take the characters, uh, and, and kind of weave it, or in and, in and, in and around them, um, in the plot, excuse me. So, yeah. So, uh, plot always comes first for me. What, what's your actual relationship with your characters then? your main characters. And I ask that because a lot of writers will say, describe them as family, friends, you know, all sorts of stuff, kids, children, you know. What What's your relationship? I always kind of see them staring at me in the corner here saying, you should be writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Those are my characters. <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, you know, there, I, I think when you talk about the, the, the first book, you know, that your, your first book was always your baby. So, you know, you never really want to kill any of the characters off. By the time you get to the second and third one, you learn that, uh, that, uh, no, no, no one is safe, uh, simply because you have, I, I think you, I have to maintain that discipline that, uh, you know, I could kill anyone off at, at any given moment. But, uh, for the time being, you know, uh, it's just important for me that I write them in a way that they, they continue to develop so that I will continue liking them because if it ever gets to the point where I don't like them or I can't take them anywhere, I will not hesitate to throw them through the wood chipper. So, so is your family aware of such, such a temper? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Where do you think I got the wood chipper idea from? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. How is your dialogue, and how do you write dialogue? Are you hearing the dialogue, seeing it? Do you see it like a movie, or do you just, like, what's your experience? Dialogue for me, uh, I feel, uh, kind of comes naturally. But um, the best way I can describe it is that I kind of immerse myself into, you know, the characters' heads, whoever it is that's in the scene, and, I just kind of recall how it is that I've set the scene up and I just say, you know, this is how this character would be thinking at this moment. This is how he would respond to Major General uh, Lajani uh, if he said something like something like that, um, because dialogue obviously just, you know, keeps the keeps the scene moving. But um, it's 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 important to me that within dialogue, you have to convey personality, but it's also important that. You, you keep the you keep the scene moving in the right direction. So I would say yeah, the, the best way I can describe it is I, I put it in I, myself in their seat, but yeah, I do kind of see it on on the screen a little bit, and you know the the characters are are talking as a as my as I'm typing. Mm. Are you dressed up like them too? <laughs> White powder wig, tights, <laughs> pointy shoes, and a belt. <laughs> No, I usually I usually do my writing in my boxers. So, uh. oh, there we go. Uh, ding, hello. <laughs> Check these later. later. Uh, all right, so let's get back to the character question. You have a lot. You have many characters across your spectrum of of sort of characteristics. You have you have many. You have several characters. You have the agency character, and you have the other, and they kind of fit in the personality traits. And they're sort of on the they're kind of on the good person side, and you have to have your bad. You're bad people too. So how do they interact, and how did you decide to put those people into those personality locations? What were, what were you trying to get across? I think what I was trying to get get across is, you know, with the in, in terms of you know the the main villains uh, and even the even the minor villains. Um, I what I was trying to get across was um, let's make them 
as unlikable as humanly possible. But let's, I also had to make sure that I conveyed that um, there was a, a human element to them in, in terms of, you know, this is why they're doing what they're doing. And they, for whatever reason, they, they think they're right. So once I have that, it, it makes it easier to, to, kind of to, to let them cross because no matter you know what the situation is, you know the the villain is going to feel like he's right no matter what, and it's the good you know the good guys you know job to job to stop them. So um, I think as long as I convey that properly, then you know the interaction kind of takes care of itself. Is that does that answer your question? Or yeah, well, I agree. And well, yeah, and the answer that well, the, uh, many writers have said that. We may not like the bad guys, but as you exactly just said, the bad guys think they're the good guys. They're, yeah. they're on the right side. They're doing right. Exactly. And that is just the easiest thing to, to convey when you're writing characters across a storyline. Yeah, no, it's, it's, t- it's very tough. And, but it, it, it all goes back to motivation. You know, why are they, why are they doing what they're doing? I mean, they're not just going to blow up the world, blow up the world because they want to blow up the world. Are there characters like that? You know, sure. I mean, you got the Joker from Batman and all that stuff. But you know, in the world of anti-terrorism and geo- geopolitics, you know, the, you know the, in the genre that I'm writing, there's always going to be a, either a personal or a national gain uh, for for the villain. And without me conveying that, then they're they're just a bully. And that, that's kind of that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, turns readers off because, you know, everybody knows a bully, but nobody ever really knows a bully's motivation. So uh, when you have that in there, it makes it easier to, to turn the page and see what happens to them. Do you, do you think about the violence you write on the page and, and how it's going to be read by, by someone or do you just kind of write it as it is? And- um, yeah, no, I think I have it. Uh, I have to keep it on a leash just a little bit. Um, you know, we were talking, if I was writing about, you know, cannibalism or something like that, I think it would be, a, you know, a lot more unrestrained. Uh, but the idea is for me is, you know, when I'm writing, especially when I'm writing a torture scene, uh, that I have to make the, the audience cringe enough and feel the pain that uh, the, uh, the protagonist is, is going through uh, enough that they, they can't stop reading it, but they don't, uh, it hurts them to read it, but I don't want to, you know, take it to, you know, another level where, you know, somebody, you know, cuts open, you know, somebody's stomach and, you know, uses their intestines for a jump rope or, or anything like that. I mean, that, that's taking it a little too far. So, uh, the idea for me is, you know, uh, make it bad enough that they'll remember it, but not so bad that they, they want to skip the chapter. Well, yeah, you know, you start eating the intestines, you know, cook them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could write Hannibal Lecter. I don't. Th- uh, I, that's something that I, I don't. I don't think I could do all that. I mean, the idea. Is, I got to admit, though, the idea of writing a horror novel that uh, scares Jesus out of out of somebody's reading it is is very very appealing to me. But uh, I'm not sure that uh, I have that that in me. <laughs> well, is that where you would go? Well, let me let me hit that because uh, I kind of always ask authors a question. Is there another genre in you? Is there a great American novel that killed Mockingbird or Signs of the Lambs stirring around in you? I, I would love to write to write a horror novel. I really would. Uh, do I have it in me? I I like to think so, just because if I say no, then 
you know, it's kind of tricking my brain into saying, you know, you're not, you're not good enough again. And, you know, with, with three books under my belt right now, I think I, I, I have confidence enough in myself that I, that I can do it. But I would love to, to write a horror novel. Uh, my problem is, is that, uh, you know, the world of uh, espionage and, and thrillers are just always seen uh, just, just so much fun. And the action, the action scenes, I really enjoy writing. Uh, I mean, my fingers are just on fire when I'm when I'm writing an action scene. And uh, it, a horror novel, you know, the pace has to be a little bit different. It's more of a slow build, and I am far too impatient uh, for that. So I, I would have to find a way to, to write a uh, a more fast-paced horror novel. So uh, would that work or not? I don't know, but uh, I would definitely give it a try. I talked to J.T. Patton. He went from yeah, action to uh to horror books now. yeah it's doing a good job yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah that's right. a second I one i think that. coming out too now yeah. i think coming out so yep. yeah they're really good yeah it's just one one step different i think um but now now in this this is a series this is book three of a series so did you have this plotted out in your mind do you outline um kind of the beginning middle and end of a series or do you just write a book and then start from there? Like, how does that go for you? It almost happened by accident for me. <laughs> because when I wrote Surviving the Lions Den, the first book in the series, uh, my intent was, okay, let's get this one sold and see, and see what happens. You know, I, had, I, had, I have no experience, uh, prior experience in the, in the publishing industry. I don't know any, didn't know any other writers or anything like that. So I, I finished that one, and then you know, the thoughts just kind of started, you know, generating in my head a little bit, and they were nothing more than ideas. And my uh, my agent called me when she was trying to sell the first one. She says, "Okay, I've got a I've got a publisher, and they're interested." I'm like, "Okay, great," but they don't want one; they want a series. So, what are your other two ideas? <laughs> and I, I on the phone with her, right then and there, I had to come up with two more ideas that I could sell uh, to this publisher. And I just went with the, the two ideas that I had. And, you know, the second book, The Iranian Deception, was a, a connection between the Iranians and the Nazis, which I uh, thought was going to be, you know, fun to write in terms of uh, really going down the creative well to challenge myself. And let's put together the two worst, um, you know, uh, modern-day uh, government regimes and see what I can come out with. And I think – but I think in the back of my mind, I – I always wanted to write a, a book about, you know, uh, creatively what regime change would look like in Iran. Um, now, it was hard to do, you know, within the confines of the one book, um, but I, I did not, you know, outline it or, or anything like that. It just It's one of those things that uh, I was fortunate enough that I, I had enough of an idea of what I wanted to do, and I was able to um, – harness uh my creative juices well enough that uh it came out the way that uh the way that it came out but uh it was i guess i'll say a happy accident um but it, it all worked out so how many of these are you going to do uh well my contract with uh, with speaking volumes is up after three so um i would like to do more i think there's uh, certainly a lot more uh that i would like to explore within within iran um i've actually uh you know, because I like the characters. I really like the Ben Thrasher and, and Tom DeLange, so I really would like to continue with them. Um, will that be an option for me? Uh, that's kind of TBD, but I've also started, you know, kind of outlining and doing some research on uh, on North Korea. So, um, 
that's kind of where I'm at right now. But, um, you know, once an author, always an author. So you can't, can't really turn off the creative juices. But the way I left book three, uh, there's still certainly some, some other possibilities, uh, within Iran because, uh, let's, I think we've all seen, at least with regards to Iraq, you know, just because regime change happens doesn't mean everyone, uh, openly accepts it. You know, there's always going to be that, uh, uh, there's little, uh, people there on the side that, uh, want to try and put things back the, the way they were. So, um, I've got some other ideas for this one, but, uh, I haven't gotten very far with them. Man, we have to have a talk. Cause when, when I started writing, my friends gave me advice, make sure you write about places that you want to vacation, so you <laughs> do research. You can go to the Bahamas or Bora Bora or wherever it is you are. <laughs> and going to North Korea and Iran are not necessarily the easiest of vacation tourist places. So you talked about your research being video cameras. Do you, do you talk to professionals, experts, professors on those, on those countries or regions to sort of get inside the mind of the people? Uh, I, I've, I've been fortunate. Professors know, but I have been fortunate enough that uh, with everything that's been going on uh, in Iran um, over the last year or so, there's been a, uh, a free Iran movement uh, here in Charlotte, and I've been able to, to go to some of the some of the protests in uptown and make some contacts with some people that uh, used to live in Iran, and kind of you know I get to pick their brain not only about geography but you know about you know you know what what it was like when they were over there what is where do they see it, it going so that's always uh, that's always been a big help you know the scholarly stuff that uh, you know I, I put into the plot um, I kind of deduce from, you know, the research that I've done reading, you know, the nonfiction uh, books of, uh, about Iran. They're, they're kind of touchy subjects, too, in a way. Does that, does that always um, sort of make you a little bit conscious of how you're going to write it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 am, aware, I am aware that, you know, it can be a little touchy, but, um, you know, you can't walk on eggshells, on eggshells around everyone. And, you know, my responsibility to myself as a writer is to challenge myself and write about the things that, you know, may not be comfortable and, you know, could potentially happen. But that being said, I'm not going to write uh, anything in my novels that's, um, you know, I, I feel is going to, you know, really put people off in, in terms of, you know, making me part of, you know, being part of the literary canceled culture, I guess I, I guess I, I'll, I'll put it that way, simply because I don't want to be banished. I'm, I've worked too hard to get this far, <laughs> but I do have to be a little careful. But um, overall, I would say it's I, I have to challenge myself and I have to write about you know what I want to write about and with the ideas that come to me. So uh, there's a little bit of a balancing act, but um, a writer does what a writer has to do. Well, let's hit on that uh, cancel. Uh writing process when you're writing now three books down the road you have you have a loyal readership are they standing over your shoulder maybe uh, looking looking in your mind as you're writing are you writing for them are you writing for you you're writing for the characters inside your book um i tend i tend to i tend to think of it think of it the other way uh i tend to think of it as they're watching the movie and i'm i'm over their shoulder uh listening to to what they think and uh you know i kind of in order for any writer to me to be, in my opinion, any, for, any, for any writer to be successful, they ha always have to be one step ahead of the audience. Um, so for me, I have to put myself in, in uh, the reader's seat and make sure that if I was reading it, this is where I think they're going. But, hey, guess what? It's not, it, that's, that's not exactly it. So it's kind of uh, 
like uh, they're watching it and I'm whispering to them, uh, be careful, don't like this character too much or don't go there. And, you know, then I, then I surprise them with something. So um, that's the, uh, I guess that's the, po- the power trip that I get on when I'm, when I'm behind a keyboard because uh, I'm the one that's, that's in control of, of where it's going and how, how, can I, how can I best surprise the audience and at the same time entertain them. So how do you how do you think this process has changed you? Like each book that you've put out and worked through um, usually has some sort of change, and it sounds like you're very tied to the subject as well as the characters. So how do you think it's changed you? Uh, well, the best thing that, that ever happened to me was that I wrote a really crappy first draft uh, when I did my first book. Uh, the first book was uh, originally was I think it was 130,000 words, uh, and it was about you know three guys that you know went to Iran and got involved in in this thing. Um, so you know I, I think I heard I think it was Brad Thor or Jack Carr say one time, always give yourself permission to to write a bad first draft, and I, I did that with the first one. So. Um, I always kind of keep it in mind, but I've been fortunate enough, at least with books two and three, that um, I would say 90% of what ended up in the, the finished product uh, ended up being in, in the first draft. So uh, I would say that the way it's changed for me is I was, I've been able to, to harness uh, my focus and, you know, maybe not overwrite too much. I still tend to be a bit of an overwriter, which I guess uh, in the long run makes it a little, little bit easier. Um in the editing sessions because it's always easier to take out than it is put back in or, or add. Um, but it's, I have between the first book and the third book, you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just did what I did because I, that's what's working for me. So, you know, I now have, I now have a routine. I know, you know, how many words, uh, I can write per day, what my limits are and, um, what I want to do with, uh, with a draft, but uh, I always, I learned that uh, when I, I guess when I did the first one, I was always afraid of deleting something. I was like, I did all this research. This is 30,000 words. I can't take this out. And um, what I really learned is that the, uh, the delete key is your friend. Never, never, ever be afraid to hit the delete key because if something's not working and you get stuck, it's trying to tell you it can't go there. So never, ever be afraid of the delete key. And uh, it's it's really helped me maintain my focus, uh, you know, trying to get through uh, the second and third books. So I, I want to be a writer. What do I do? What, what would you suggest to someone that's wanting to take on the world of writing? Read. Read. Always read. Um, yeah, you will absorb so much. Uh, if, you, if you're reading, whether it's horror novels or spy thrillers or mysteries or or crime novels, if that is what you're interested in, that's where you should be reading. And ultimately, I feel like, you know, that's where you should be writing because you're going to write on what interests you the most. And when you read the best, when you read Vince Flynn, when you read Jack Carr, when you read David Bodachi, Stephen King, and John Grisham, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, they're not just there to enter. Joe Goldberg. <laughs> I'm so, I'm, uh, yeah, I didn't say anything about that. Oh, I got caught, man. I feel like I just got spanked on radio. Sorry yeah. about that, Joe. <laughs> you had a good answer going to that. So keep going. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, what these guys are really offering you is, you know, not just entertainment, but education. 
I mean, you can figure out how to how to weave the plot, how to weave the characters, um, and and you learn from it. And even though not every no one book is the same, um, there's always you know a different way to do it. And um, start start out doing that, and then you know. I would say start looking, you know, looking on YouTube. YouTube's a good place to start in terms of, you know, how do you want to formulate your plot? Do you want to be a pantser? Or do you want to be an outliner? Um, things that, that generally work and, 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 and not. But to me, uh, for me personally, um, you know, I felt like I had the uh, gift of writing within me. So I just needed some guidance. And uh, the writers that I named uh, definitely uh, led the way for me. So. I was I learned from them as much as I was entertained by them, and still am. Yeah, no, I, I, I've learned everything I have from Joe. I learned from your true crime. <laughs> I would I would I would love to sit down uh, and have a have a steak with, with Joe and talk about his agency days. That was smoked cheese. <laughs> smoke, smoke cheese. You can call me anytime. Yeah, smoke cheese. <laughs> it's not smoked cheese season. It's milk <laughs> cheese season. We can do that. Hey, anytime. We Give me a call. That. We can we can definitely do that. Bourbon steaks, cheese. I'm all I'm all about it. See, he's my friend. Al. Yeah. He's invited me to bourbon steaks. What have you invited me? Uh, what do you mean, bro? <laughs> I didn't. F- I, I don't go <laughs> start. Oh, well, what? What would you have, Alan? What, what can we do for dessert for you? What what dessert would we have in your honor? No, none, none. Don't no. None. No. I'm dessertless. <laughs> oh, she's already so sweet. Oh. Okay, <laughs> commercial time. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, getting out of there. Uh, so, listen, Matt. Have you ever decided that you'd go back to one of your first books, like the first book or whatever, and look at it and reread it and feel you want to change something? I think when you finish your book, it's no longer yours. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Um, and I edited that damn thing so many times that I was ready to get rid of it uh, once it was almost ready for publication. But I will say this: um, with regards to book one, it's you know it's always a writer's first time, so there's always going to be some some mistakes or some things that I wish I would have changed. And uh, I guess probably the one thing with regards to book one that I that I would change was I was really under a crunch from my editor and my, my publisher about limiting um, word count. So I wish I had um, added a chapter in the beginning about um, uh, the wingsuit diving. I think that would have maybe helped things flow a little bit better and, you know, made what happened near the end of the book uh, kind of come full circle. But otherwise, you know, once I, once I write the book, I, I put it down and, you know, I thank God that, uh, I was able to to get everything out and do it the way that I did it because uh, you know there's no do overs in this one. This is you know you have your product, you put it out there, and then it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the readers. They can they can kind of pick it apart as as they wish. So have you killed off anybody you know in your books? Like friends of mine, the characters that I'm yeah, oh, oh, yeah, someone oh, yeah. you've known or oh, yeah. someone oh. you've worked with, someone you've uh, oh, yeah. another oh, yeah. writer, maybe oh, Joe. Yeah. And, yeah, and, kill and killed them off when they in in the book used their used them as the basis of a character. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh uh, yeah, the first one. You know, I I had uh there was a, a group of guys named Jacob Webb, uh, Win McPherson, and Dan McAdams. I call them the Mix. And uh, you know they um, uh, they they are my friends back in the back in the Hampton Roads area. And uh, you know I, I I did not hesitate to to kill them uh, with. Uh, 
extreme prejudice in a, in a bombing. But, uh, you know, they were, they were happy just, just to be a part of it. I always try and give some friends uh, and people I know little, little small characters, uh, you know, in, in the Ayatollah takedown, there's a, a character that, uh, is head of the, um, the museum, uh, Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. Uh, she used to be my boss at, uh, my cor- my other corporate job. And, uh, one of my mom's sorority sisters was, uh, was, is an FBI agent in the, in that novel. So I always try and give a little bit of, uh, kind of tongue in cheek and winks, uh, to people I like. But yeah, to, to my friends, you know, and the one guy that in the second book, uh, there's a guy I play golf with, Katan Patel. I kind of wrote a character kind of more or less based on him. And he always makes me putt out the, the short three foot putts instead of giving, giving, giving them to me. Yeah. He was, he is not a, he is not a gimme guy. So I was, it, it felt liberating to, to kill him. And I told him so. Yeah. It felt very liberating to, to kill him off. Well, we've got him on the other line right now. So yeah. <laughs> I hope it took a long time too. <laughs> He has something to say about. Yeah, this. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. He he will not hesitate. He is. Uh, he, he's something else. He's he's very strict on the golf course with me. That's for sure. Uh, listen. So uh, now, are you big on uh, interacting with readers and fans and other people? Do you have social media set up? Website? Like, where do people find you? Uh, they can find me. Uh, send me an email uh, by way of my website at mattscottbooks.com. Uh, on Facebook, I just have I have my business account, uh, Matt Scott Books, and my regular personal account, Twitter and Instagram, uh, at Matt Scott Books. And I love interacting with my fans. I, I, I love receiving you know images of people holding the book, telling me how much they love this scene, that scene, that character. Uh, and I answer, I answer every single one of them because uh, to me, uh, that is the, the best privilege in the world as a, as a writer to be able to interact with the people who are kind enough to give you their time uh, and money, uh, but time is more valuable, I think, uh, to to read, you know, the idea that came from my head. And uh, I love hearing from people. So anytime anybody wants to contact me, feel free. Well, there you go. Now, of course, we'll put that up on the website so they can find you easily, one click. And uh, So, listen, you must have been writing some of this over COVID and all of that lockdown and all the weird stuff going on do you think that affected the way you wrote or maybe the feeling of how you wrote do you think it was darker or you take the person that you just it didn't matter at all you just no problems um i don't think it it mattered to me in terms of how i wrote um the first one i spent covid actually the first part of covid 2020 i you know trying to find my um my literary agent and my publisher uh, but the second and third books, um, I, I don't mind saying at this point, my publisher kind of put me on a, on a tight deadline uh, in terms of being able to, you know, get the first draft done, get it edited and get it, get it fixed and get it submitted. So, uh, I really spent, uh, you know, the, those COVID years for books two and three, uh, under a little bit of pressure. So I had to make sure that I maintained uh, my routine, which is, you know, I'll, I would work my eight to five. I'll come downstairs, talk to my wife and have dinner. And then when she falls asleep on the couch at eight thirty, nine o'clock, I come back upstairs and, uh, and, and start writing. And I'll usually write about 1500 words a day, which is usually about a chapter for me. Um, so it was, I guess the, the most important thing, you know, was maintaining my routine. Whereas the first book, you know, I could write three or four chapters, you know, take a day or two off and, you know, come back to it. Um, 
you know, really without a whole lot of problem. But uh, with the di- the deadline that put me on, I had to make sure that I maintained my routine. Otherwise, I wasn't going to uh, finish on time. And that was uh, – I tend to be a little bit of a, a stickler for – um, being on time. So I wanted to make sure that I got that done. But the, the COVID years, um, in terms of, of writing, uh, it really didn't, didn't change me or, or how I wrote. I just, it, I'm a, the routines kind of saved me in those days. So you're the type that can just turn it on. Like you can just. In terms of, you know, getting the chapter done, because usually what I'll do is to, to warm up for the day. I'll reread the chapter that I wrote before, the day before, do some editing. And then I'll write, I'll write the next chapter. Now, if the next chapter is 500 words, I might write, you know, two chapters. Uh, but it, it's, that's a good way for me to kind of get warmed up and make sure that I pick up, you know, exactly where I left off. But as long as my, my hard and fast rule is I never stop in the middle of a chapter. That's the one thing I, I can't do. I'm too, I'm too ADD, uh, to, to be able to do that. That would bother the living hell out of me. Uh, so as long as I get the chapter done, I can, I could pretty much, you know, pick it up and put it down. But my brain also has a good way of telling me, okay, you're spent for the day. Go, go drink. <laughs> go drink first and then go write. Oh, yeah. I've done, I've, I've done that. I've done that a few times too. It loosens you up. Yeah, but, it does. But the um, spell check better be working. <laughs> just have AI do it. Just type it in, have, have chat GDT right there. You. you know, I found that actually, you know, drinking during research is really, uh, the, where, the, where the big benefit lies, because that's where you know you get you get all the ideas, all the, the sparks start flying. So I was I was more of a drinker during research than I actually was uh, pounding away at the keyboard. There you go. Now, new readers, take note. Get drunk. Do your research. <laughs> get drunk before you read. Yeah, and then go back and do it again, and and no problem. Yeah, now we know. Absolutely. That, it worked for me. What can I say? So what's next? So what are you doing? You're, um, you've got the third book out now, the Ayatollah Takedown. And uh, so what what is going to happen now? Uh, well, the first thing that's going to be up for me is that I'm uh, coming out to your neck of the woods, so at least uh, close to it. I'll be at BoucherCon. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm planning. We get, we'll get that steak and that uh, steak and burger. We'll, we'll make sure we do all that. And uh, so looking forward to that. It'll be my first uh, conference. I've never been to Thriller Fest. And, or anything like that. So I'm looking forward to that, making some contacts, you know, meeting some some readers. Uh, and then as, as far as uh, the craft is concerned, like I said, I, I'm, I'm doing my research on, on North Korea, and I've got some other ideas uh, flowing right now. Uh, I don't have anything. I've kind of started on the outline a little bit uh, with the North Korea uh, novel, but nothing, nothing concrete yet. I'm still trying to sort some things out, but... Uh, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to get these these last two out, uh, so they've they've taken up a lot of my time. But uh, you know, like I said, once once a writer, always a writer. So um, I can't stop now. There's, this is not this is not vacation time. I gotta keep pressing forward. Yeah, get to work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Taking it too slow. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here. Of course, uh, um, our guest is Matt Scott. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it and. Uh, Always a fan. Thanks, Matt. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.